We're going to have uh, Amy come and speak to us now. If I were you, I'd want to be close to this woman. Because <laughs> I think the Lord has something very special for us today and is touching her. And for you kids, it's time for the kids teaching. I will be the kids teacher. So kids, follow me. You know, it's really, really, really good to see you all. I've missed you. Right. Am I on? Yes. Um, I'm looking forward to this day, and I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and speak to each heart today. I pray that you would make us one so that we may be your witnesses upon the earth. I pray that you would take the work that you have begun and, and go much deeper in us individually and as a community. We ask you to send your angels, Lord, to protect this time, this space, the children. And we ask you to make your message clear. So I am going to do something today that I am not very comfortable with. Um, and that's go off script. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> but something happened last night that I wasn't expecting. We had a, a meeting with Dr. Michael Brown via Zoom, arranged by our friend Marisha Yanka from Help for All Nations. And Dr. Brown spoke about revival. He spoke, he was an evangelist in the Pensacola revival back in the 90s. And I never went, but the Owenses did. And they came back and our lives were, were touched very much, profoundly impacted by what happened in Pensacola. Never been the same. And when Dr. Brown was talking about it last night, he, he teared up and said, we, we can hardly talk about those days because something happened in those days that was holy. So we live in strange days. Have you noticed that? Strange times. And the question is, how do we interpret the times that we live in? How do we discern what God is doing? And how do we respond to what he's doing? What are the resources that we have? He's given us some very, very powerful tools. <coughs> like, rod, like a rod and a staff to guide our way, no matter how dark it is, no matter what we're going through as the word of God and the Holy Spirit when we are people grounded in the word when we are people grounded in scripture we understand that that we are part of an ongoing story there's one story there's one story of the people of God God has been redeeming a people from the beginning to be with him to be his holy people to be to live with him in holiness we're part of that story. And so there are precedents set in scriptures. There are prophecies set in scriptures. There are guideposts. There are maps. We need to hold on to those. But we are also blessed beyond measure to be recipients of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will indwell us. The Holy Spirit will give us the mind of Christ. But in order to have the mind of Christ, we have to give ourselves fully to the Holy Spirit. We have to let the Spirit root out the darkness in us. We have to abide in the Holy Spirit. We have to spend time with the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus 
went away to be with the Father, to hear his voice. And we need time alone with the Father to discern the Holy Spirit. So, <coughs> what I have in mind today is, is not, not a long teaching at all. I really, really want to spend time being with the Lord today. I think that that's what he would like us to do. But the, I want to look at um, a passage from Isaiah 26 and a scripture from Isaiah 45, which Caroline pointed out to me at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think that they are prophetic. But I think that what happened last night hearing to Michael Brown is I think there was something that was stirred in my heart. Like this is, um, I, feel, I feel a stirring to hope for something that is not just personal. Not, not just a personal word for how to endure these days, but a hope beyond that, that the Lord is doing something and he's stirring something, and that if we press into his heart, we will see what he's doing, and it will be, it will be our great reward. Does this make sense? Okay. So, um, I want to look at Isaiah 26, and I would like you, if you have a, a Bible on the phone or a real Bible, turn to Isaiah 26, and I want to set some historical context. So the Lord has called the people of Israel to be his own, and he has given them his love. He's given them the law. He abides with them in the temple. His presence is there. <coughs> but Israel, over centuries and centuries, they um, have lost their first love. They have forgotten the Lord, they have turned to idols, and the Lord has sent prophets again and again and again and again, and the people's hearts are hard. And so, as, as the Lord promised through Moses, there comes a time of judgment, and where the Lord is going to tear down the temple, allow it to be torn down, allow his people to go into captivity. And here we are, this is it. When Isaiah 26 is, is written, Israel is probably already in captivity. Judah is, is, may or may not be in captivity yet, but Babylon is breathing down their necks. Um, judgment has come. And what I want, when we start reading this, what I, I want to say is judgment Judgment is like an expression of the jealous love of God. God wants to be with us, right? He wants to be with us, but he is holy. For us to be invited into the fellowship of the Trinity, we have to, we have to be able to um, abide in his holiness. And so his judgment is not, uh, he's not just ticked off and he's going to, to do away with us. This. this is never his plan, and you'll see this in Isaiah 26. God is always sending forth his judgments, always through the prophets. He's always speaking to us. He would much, much, much rather judge the places in our heart quietly and privately. And this is, this is how he spoke to Israel always. He would always speak through the prophets gently. He would, he would prefer this way of dealing with us. But there comes a time when our hearts are hard. We don't hear. We can't hear. And so he um, will will orchestrate external circumstances to get our attention. 
But when we start off with Isaiah 26, you'll see that he has another end in mind. His end is not destruction. It never is. So Isaiah 26 starts off with these beautiful, beautiful verses. Um, and I want to... I want to do this George style, if you can. So can we start with you, Caroline, and go to Karen, and then Justice John, and back through here. And I'll, I will stop us at a, a few points. So one verse at a time. Starting with one? Starting with, cha yes, verse one. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation, its walls and ramparts. Open the gates. Let the righteous nation enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in me. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Okay, we'll stop there. So you see, <laughs> the Lord has in mind the new Jerusalem, the, the city of heaven. This is what he's talking about where the holy nation may come and enter. It's kind of an ironic passage because he has allowed the gates of Jerusalem to be broken down. And he's speaking about um, opening the gates that the righteous nation may enter. He sees the end of the work he's doing in the captivity. And so I just want to, to point out this beautiful verse. You've heard it for the... Um, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. We've heard that, right? It's a verse for our age. It's a verse to ask the Lord to write on our heart. I will tell you that the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian captivity was worse than the COVID pandemic. It is worse than unemployment, okay? It is, it is worse than anything we are facing by far. And he says that we can have perfect peace in the midst of that by keeping our eyes on him. Okay, verse 5, Lynn. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height. The lofty city he lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet, the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. So in order to exalt the humble, the Lord will bring down the proud. He will. Pride cannot abide in his presence. It just can't. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous in his presence. It, it is um, offensive. Okay, Amy, verse 7. The way of the righteous is smooth. O upright one, make the path of the righteous level. I'm Lynn, verse 8. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is for thy name and to remembrance of thee. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Okay, I want to say a couple of things about this little passage. First, in verse 7, most translations say the way of the just, you make the way of the just smooth. That is not the most literal translation. The most literal translation is you weigh the path of the just, or you ponder the path of the just, meaning the Lord notices, the Lord notices those who are upright. He notices the just. It, it 
carries weight with the Most High God to live an upright life. He notices, he cares. And I think that maybe we can, we can feel um, in the Psalms, like, why do you wash away the unjust with the just? But it is not true. The Lord remembers and he cares. The next thing I want to um, mention is verse 8. The desire of our soul is for your name. And with my soul, I have desired you in the night. I think a lot of us are experiencing insomnia, a lot of us in these days. Um, I did not sleep last night, but it was a different different type of, of waking. I found that my heart was stirred with yearning for him. I'm not saying that the two are the same. I, I think he wants us to have perfect peace because the ones who have peace, he will lie down and rest. But if we are awake, if we are awake, let's yearn for him in the night. Does that make sense? The last verse, number nine. For when your judgments in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Once again, this is just saying... Um, we don't learn righteousness sometimes without judgment. Sometimes it takes judgment for us to learn righteousness. Judgment is a, is a small cost to pay for righteousness. Something about the Babylonian captivity is that it worked. It worked for Israel. When Israel came out of the Babylonian captivity, they did not fall into idolatry again. They did not worship the idols of Rome, even when they were occupied. They had been cleansed. And when Zechariah sings his song, he said, this is how we know that God has forgiven us. He sent the Messiah. The Lord had to cleanse Israel before the Messiah was coming. He had to cleanse them of their idolatry so that they would be expecting, so that they would be wanting something, so they would be looking for him. And I feel like that is something that the Lord wants to do in us. He wants us to, to cleanse us of our idolatry, of our preoccupations, of, our, of whatever it is so that we can yearn for him. You know, when Jesus came, when Jesus came to Israel, you can tell that people were expecting the Messiah. They were yearning for him. And how do you know this? Well, he goes around teaching and, and, and um, Philip says, hey, I think this guy's the Messiah. You've got to come see. Is this guy the Messiah? They were waiting. They were eagerly waiting and watching for the Messiah. So we've been, we've been a community for many years, right? Many years. And, and what, is our, what is our theme? It's, it's the Maranatha cry, come Lord Jesus, come, right? This is what we've been praying. This is this is defines who we are. It even is the, the John 17 um, heart. We want we want to know, we, we want to be one with each other so that we can know the Trinity, so that we can bear witness to Jesus, so that he will come back. We want the fulfillment of all things. And so we say, come Lord Jesus. But Jesus tells us clearly that there will be birth pains with his coming, right? And he says, uh, how many of you, so if you've had a baby, if you've had a baby before, uh, you know that the end of pregnancy is not a lot of fun. It's, <laughs> the end of pregnancy is not great. <laughs> and so you're really ready to have the baby. You're heavy, you're tired. And um, so when the first birth pain comes, it's like, yes, bring it on. I can handle this. And then, 
And then, you know, like for an hour or so, you think, yeah, the baby's coming. And then you get to a point where you think, I could be pregnant all my life and that would be okay. It was, <laughs> it's like, yes, this is really enough. And you don't know if you're gonna have the strength and you don't see how you can, can, can deliver the baby. At least I, I was that way. I was like, I just, I don't know if I can do this anymore. But as a people, um, as a, if we truly, truly, truly yearn for the longing, for the return of Christ, we have to be a people prepared for the birth pains. And one of the, one of the things which... Could you hold for a minute? It seems that the Zoom call is muted. Okay. Oh, I... Yeah, I'm afraid I don't know how to handle it. It's okay. Let's, I, I, don't, I think there are very few people on the Zoom call, and this is recorded anyway. One of the things which touched me so much when I heard Michael Brown speak yesterday is that he talked about the repentance that came with the revival in Brownsville and how how people would weep for days and days upon sin, and so for their sins. And it was not just the result of revival, it was the precursor to revival. He talked about how he went through seasons of that in his own life, of, um, of deep repentance for, for being ashamed of the gospel, for being ashamed of the spirit, for losing his first love. And how all of these things were, were precursors towards um, revival and the fruit of revival. I was very touched by that, but there was, there was also such a beauty that he described, a hunger of people coming um, and staying through the meetings, which would last from six, he said, sometimes to midnight, and people would sometimes leave at midnight and go and get something to eat and then come back in their sleeping bags and sleep in the parking lot so they could get in line at 6 a.m. to get in again for the next meeting that started at seven that night because there was a hunger, because the presence of God was moving. There's nothing like the presence of God. There's nothing like his presence. He told people, stories of people who would drive by the church and just start weeping, start weeping for their sins, of teenagers who would come to the revival and then go to school and, and just fall out um, under the presence of God in their classrooms. The Spirit of God was moving and people were hungry because when the Spirit of God moves like that, it is, it is beautiful. It's, it's like, there's nothing to describe it. Uh, and if revival is like that, how much greater will the return of the Lord, his living presence be? What we long for is greater than revival. What we long for is to be with the Lord, to see his presence, to be in his presence continually. Okay. Verse 10, where are we? Are we at three, Diane? I don't know where we are. I just finished eight. Your kindness to the wicked does not make them do good. Although others do right, the wicked keep doing wrong and take no notice of the Lord's majesty. John Michael, can you do 11? Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. If the fire reserved for your enemies, consume them. And then, where are we? 
Let's go. Let's go on to verse twelve. Marty, verse twelve. I'm sorry, I'm not even there yet. Okay, no problem. in the midst of judgment you have this beautiful beautiful promise of resurrection so these verses are both a confession of sin and a confession of hope we have not accomplished anything on our own we have had other masters over us but the lord will deliver us so here we come to the verse i really want to focus in on um uh, but i'm just a second sorry Verse 20 and 21. I'm going to read these. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no, and will no more cover her slain. I think that we have been in a time, a season, six months so far, where this has been the Lord's plea to his people. Come shut your doors. Come shut your doors um, while my indignation passes. I, my indignation is not directed at you. My, indirect, my indignation is um, not directed, uh, is for judgment, but I, my heart is to spare you. My heart is to spare you. My heart is to speak to you tenderly, to speak to you quietly. I think that we are in a time of an opportunity for repentance. I think that the Lord 
has shown that um, he is more interested He's more interested in our relationship with him than he is in church as normal or business as normal. And I think that we do well to seek him, to seek him in, in, the, in the chambers of our heart, in the quietness of this time. The other verse I want to mention, and this, I'm not, we're, not going, we're gonna do this without context. There's a verse from Isaiah 45, which has been a comfort and a challenge to me. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. I believe this verse pairs well with the Isaiah 26:20 verse of shut your drawers, go away, seek me. He wants to give us treasures. And in the past six months, I have to say that I, um, I have experienced treasures in the darkness. I have experienced private, um, private encounters with the Lord. There have been things that he has worked in my life and in my children's life that I don't think would have happened in the busyness. And I'm thankful for those. So one of the things I would like us to do today is, is recall, recount, what are the treasures that you've given us in this time of darkness? But I would like us to ask an, another question, and that is, what do you want, uh, what treasure would you give in this time of darkness were we to, to seek you? Ask the Lord, like, what, what is it? What is it that you would free me from? What, what is it that you would set me free from? What is it that you could awaken my heart to desire in this time of darkness? Does that make sense? I don't know that I have expressed this well. Um, like I said, I am off script. Um, but I pray, I just, I wanna pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and speak to us today. It is good to be with one another, and I believe that you have joy for us today, and you want us to delight in one another. I thank you that you have given us this time. But I also believe the season is not over. I believe that the season of darkness is not over. I believe the time of quietness and seeking you is not over. And so I pray that you would equip us, that you would make us content to be shut away, seeking you, asking for your light your treasures in this time. So I want to spend the next few minutes until we gather again in quietness, asking the Lord, just seeking the Lord. I, I don't have more direction with that. Just, just be quiet and seek the Lord. Does that sound all right? Okay.